We thank you, Lord, that you are trustworthy, you are faithful. And Father, we know that when we put our faith and trust in you, that is when we experience that peace that passes all understanding. And Father, as we look into your word once again, Father, I pray that through it, as we see your hand in history, that we might understand again and grasp the truth that you are working in each of our lives in every detail. Father, and you have a plan and purpose, and your desire is that we might trust you with that plan. Now speak, we pray, to our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Esther. Continue our series here in this tremendous account of the Jewish nation, how they were, could have been completely annihilated had God not intervened. And again, just as a, we're going to be reading chapter 7, so part 7, Chapter 7 of Esther, we're going to be looking at tonight. And again, quick review. 500 years before Christ, Esther, who was, you remember, was an orphan. Uh, she was chosen by God's providence to become queen of Persia, as, of course, the Jews were dispersed throughout the empire. And, uh, of course, there was the plot by a man who hated the Jews named Haman. He became like the prime minister of, or the right-hand man of King Ahasuerus, or King Xerxes, uh, king of Persia. And so his plot was to get the king to agree to a policy uh, that the Jews could be annihilated. And the king, not understanding that it was the Jews or anything about it, because he had elevated Haman, he, he was trusting him and said, well, go ahead, yep, I give you, give you my my stamp of, of you know, uh, approval. And so Haman was, began to plan. And of course, Haman, Haman hated one man in particular, and that would be the, the uh, parental guardian of Esther, whose name was Mordecai. And Mordecai was a man that told Esther when she became queen, do not let anybody know, especially the king, that you are a Jew, because that could create a lot of trouble so just keep it quiet but now came the time where the word was out the jews are going to be annihilated mordecai went to fasting and then he went to esther and asked esther esther would you would you please intervene with the king for our people now it is time that he knows of course she was scared she was hesitant because her life was at stake then, should she go before the king. Uh, And after um, much encouragement from Mordecai, Queen Esther said, yes, I'll go to the king. And if I perish, I perish. And so she planned uh, a banquet to meet with uh, just a private banquet for the king and for Haman to be there. And it was at that point she was planning to tell the king uh, of Haman's plot, and, uh, and would he spare the, her people as she is a Jew? But of course, as you remember, when they arrived at that banquet, something prevented her from, from uh, asking him at that point. But God had a reason. We're not sure why, but God had a reason to postpone it. 
And so she set up a second banquet for, and, and she made it sound like it was in honor of Haman. And so Haman was all thrilled. He was getting all these, you know, he was getting all this attention. But little did he know, he had no idea what Esther was planning to do to tell the king and going to inter, intervene. <clears throat> and so we now come to that second banquet here, okay? That's where we pick it up in chapter 7. Would you look with me now, verses 1 through 4. Now the king and Haman came to drink wine with Esther, the queen, or drink at the banquet and have a banquet with Esther, the queen. And the king said to Esther, on the second day also, as they drank their wine at the banquet, what is your petition, Queen Esther? The king comes right out and asks her. It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be done. Do you recall that he made this offer to her before? Basically, you can have, have you know, he was so enthralled with his, his queen that he would offer her half the kingdom if she asked for it. And he has no idea what she's going to ask, but this is his offer. And we see uh, how generous King Ahasuerus is in this situation. And so he offers, verse 3, Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me as my petition and my people as my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Now, if we had only been sold as slaves, men and women, I would have remained silent, for the trouble would not uh, be commensurate uh, with the annoyance of the king. So here she finally lays everything out on the table before the king, and she comes clean, and she knows the moment she speaks this and begins to tell him it could be the end of her. Her life, he may not do anything. The king could say, what I have said, I have said. What I, what, what I have spoken, I have spoken. It's going to be done. And if you're a Jew, you must be killed also. And he, he could have done that. I, I Try and put yourself in the shoes of Esther. Coming before this king, yes, she was queen. But all she needed to do was say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, and she would die. It didn't matter that she was queen. How many, do you recall any times in your life where you had to go before someone, a superior, and you were frightened? You were scared. Maybe you got called into your boss's office. I don't know if any of you had that experience or not. And uh, there was a situation, a problem, uh, somehow that the boss had to, to deal with concerning you. And, 
And that can be a frightful thing. For me, it was when I was a student, a kid, in uh, middle school. I had the experience of going to the principal's office. Now, I know none of you have ever been there. But yes, there was a time where, you see, all right, I'm going to tell this real quick. Okay, I, is it okay, Sherry, if I tell you? Okay, I was, I was in sixth grade, I was a, well, no, I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. I was in sixth grade, so, and uh, I was what they called a safety patrol. I was on the safety patrol team. And you know what, remember what that was? You'd get a, you wear this stripe like a policeman, you'd get a badge, and then you would stand at the street corner and, and stop the traffic and make sure the kids could come and cross when they left school at the end of school. Well, man, I was so proud to be on that, that, that squad. I felt like a policeman, you know? And of course, um, you're doing that and, and all the girls think you're special, you know, if you're wearing that badge. And uh, back then, that was nice. And so, so anyway, uh, it was at the end of one day of school, I was wearing my badge and my, my, you know, my plastic uh, strap around me. And I was heading home, and I happened to be walking with some, another guy who goes the same way I do. Now, these are the streets of Philadelphia. Okay, so uh, this is when I was living in, in Philly. Uh, and so we, we were walking together, this guy, and I didn't know him too well. He didn't know me too well. But there was a, a moment where... We were parting. I was going to cross a parking lot, and the parking lot was, it, it was in between houses, and it was full of stones, and, and uh, so, I, you know, I said, I'll see you, and I started crossing uh, to go home. Well, he decided to pick up a stone and throw it at me, so he picked up a stone, and all of a sudden, it landed next to me. I turned around. What? Why did you just throw a stone at me? He's laughing. So, you know, kindly I picked up a stone too. And I threw it back at him. You know, just a little stone. And he picked another one up and threw it at me. I picked the one up, threw it back. The difference was, as this continued, my stones stayed the same size. His grew. So finally, he was throwing bigger stones. Finally, one came flying through the air. I saw it coming. I turned around like this, covered my head, but bang, it landed right on top of my head. He took off. And now I'm going, and there's blood everywhere. I am cut open. So here's this sixth grader in the streets of Philadelphia bleeding. Of course, they see that every day. But anyway, here I was, I had to run home. So I'm holding my head, bleeding all over the place, running home, get home, and, and, and you know, get to the door, the door's locked, I knock on it, my mom opens up and almost passes out. See, oh, oh no, I'm sorry, let me back up. On my way home, I still had a good ways to go. I'm walking down the street there on the sidewalk, bleeding, and some car pulls up next to me. And the guy rolls down the window and says, hey, can I, can I take you to the hospital? Can I take you somewhere? You, 
what happened to you? I said, I got hit with a rock. He didn't understand how that happened, but, but he says, get in and I'll take you home. Normally I wouldn't have done it, but I jumped in the car with him. So the, uh, he took me to my home, drove me home. That's when I got up to the door and mom rushed me to the ER. Well, I got the stitches next day at school. Where do you think I was called to go? To the principal's office. I don't know how the principal ever found this out. Because there was no one else around that I, we could see when we were throwing the stones. But sat down. Guess what I lost? I was kicked off the team. I was kicked off the patrol team because of that incident. All because of another kid, what he did. And, but sitting in front of that principal, my knees were knocking. I wasn't sure what he was going to do. I didn't know if I was going to be completely expelled from school or, but I did lose the badge. But man, when I came home, uh, I, I didn't know how to tell my mom, but you know, he started it. So it shouldn't have been my fault, right? I learned a lesson, but getting in front of somebody with authority and you know, what's sad is that some believers, when they go to the Lord, Sometimes we may go with fear like Esther has. Some people look at God as a mean God, an angry God, always angry, and always ready to, uh, <clears throat> you know, to bring the hammer down on us, when it, whatever we ask. But I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, because there are two passages of Scripture that I think... Uh, as we look at Esther and the king, we see a beautiful picture of the believer entering into the presence of our heavenly king in prayer with our prayer requests. Uh, but Ephesians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. A familiar passage. We've looked at this quite often. But verse 6 again. Paul writes to the church. They're in Philippi. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He's saying, don't be anxious. Bring your petitions with thanksgiving and your requests to the Lord. Make it known to the Lord. The king of the universe. We're talking about the king of the universe and entering into his presence, do you realize that when we pray, when we bow before him in prayer, we are coming, as it were, spiritually into the throne room of Almighty God, our Heavenly Father. And he is sitting on the throne, and he wants us to come. And the only reason we can come before him with our petitions and prayers is because of what Christ did for us in removing the veil and shedding his blood on our behalf. Then verse 7, what happens? When we do this, this is what we should have. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension or understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How wonderful to know that the Lord God wants me to come into his presence without fear. That he wants me to come to him with my petitions and not picturing him as this angry God that is going to, if I ask something wrong, 
or, or I come to him with a request, you know, uh, he, he, he's going to be angry with me or, or say no. And, and, and we don't know how he's going to handle it. People have that fear coming into the presence of God in prayer. And how blessed it is to know that we don't have to be like Queen Esther going into the king's presence there. But we, with the king of the universe, we can go into his presence with joy, with no anxiousness, no fear, and let our petitions be known. And then that would take us to Hebrews 4. So slide over to the book of Hebrews, if you would. Chapter 4, verse 14. Again, here the writer of Hebrews is speaking about how we are able to enter the presence of a holy God without fear. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ who became our high priest. And, and he, be, he was the sacrifice and also the high priest that presented himself as the sacrifice for our sins. That his blood would allow us entry into the throne room of God. Verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, even as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near or boldly, come boldly with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive or obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Do you see how beautiful this is? The writer is here is trying to tell the believer that you and I should walk boldly into the throne room of God every day with our prayers, our petitions, our weaknesses, our sin, to confess our sin and to, and, and to tell God, ask him for help in struggling with sin. But he knows our weaknesses because Christ was tempted even as we are, yet he was tempted without sin. We have a king who has experienced what we experience and he sympathizes with us. Isn't that wonderful? We don't need to be like Esther and go into the king's presence, our God, and and walk trembling and fearful. But we, can, we must go boldly and draw near to that throne. That what? We may obtain grace and find mercy to help in the time of our need. How beautiful a picture this is of, of Queen Esther and the king. But our, our spiritual uh, entrance into the throne room of God uh, is different in that we have a God we do not need to fear. And so if you'll turn back with me now to Esther chapter 7. And <clears throat> he goes on there. And, and as uh, we see, in, she, she has laid everything out before the king. Look at verse 5 and 6. The king now, King Ahasuerus responds... 
Then King Ahasuerus asked Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he who would presume to do thus? And Esther said, A foe and an enemy is this wicked Haman. She she finally names the name. Now, once naming his name, you know, she doesn't know which way this is going to go again. Which way will the king? King likes Haman. He exalted him. But look who gets terrified at the end of verse 6. Then Haman became terrified before the king and queen. Remember, he's sitting here at this banquet, just the two of them. And she, he thinks this was a banquet was in his honor. But now she opens up and says, oh, king, this man right here, you know what he, he's been doing behind your back? He's been seeking to annihilate the Jewish people, which includes me, I being a Jew. How, how frightened this man finally must be. He thought he had it all together. He thought his plan was going to work. He thought he had control of the king's heart. And he had control of the whole situation. He was going to get what he wished. And his wicked plan would turn out. But God intervened. But God stepped in. And again, this reminds me, think of the bravery of Esther. And I think we can personalize this when we think of Esther willing to go before the, go before the king on behalf of the, her people. She was willing to lay down her life, didn't matter what it cost, to save her people. Do you know, there's a passage in Romans, if you'll turn to it with me. Let's go to Romans 9. Let's go over to Romans chapter 9. The Apostle Paul had a similar burden for for the Jewish people, much like Esther did. But Esther was concerned about saving them physically and saving the nation physically. But here in Romans chapter 9, verse 1, we see Paul and how far he's willing to go to reach the Jewish people spiritually, to save their souls. Verse 1, Paul writes to the church, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinship according to the flesh. Who are the Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, who are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever, amen. But back in verse 3, what did he say? Basically, he said, I 
would be willing to give up my salvation for the salvation of Israel, for my people. Question. Would I be willing to say such a thing and to think such a thing and to feel such a thing that I would give up my salvation for someone else? That I would give up my salvation for someone who doesn't know Christ. But if it came to that, if it was either them or me, Paul's basically saying if it's them or me, I would be willing to go to hell so that they could have everlasting life. There, what kind of love is that? The same that Esther had for her people physically, but here he's talking about the spiritual, his, his spiritual burden for the lost people of Israel. And this should sober our minds and hearts because I know that I don't have the burden I should for the lost around me. Oh, there are times I do, but then all of a sudden, life gets complacent. I get going through the motions, past people on the street, in the supermarket, and other places, and their soul's going to hell. How much do I care? And how much am I burdened for their souls? I don't know if I would be willing to say, like Paul, I will go to hell for them if they could be saved. This, this is such a powerful statement by the Apostle Paul, willing to give himself. And oh, that, that we might have the burden to share the gospel with every chance we have because we don't know when the person we are talking to is going to step into eternity. That the day we, if we meet them, Later that day might be the la- their last day on earth. We don't know that. We just heard that about that prayer request this morning from Mandy about this 21-year-old boy, a young man that was killed in the auto accident that was friends of theirs. Just like that, in an instant, gone. We don't know. I read the story of William Fay, F-A-Y-E, William exemplified the urgency we need to, to reach out to save others. And it was on a flight just days before 9-11. William struck up a conversation with a flight attendant, and he felt deeply impressed to share Christ with her. You see, William had a heart of evangelism, who often witnessed to people wherever he went. But he had a strong sense of urgency for some reason about this particular lady, this stewardess. William gave her a tract about Casey Burnell. Does that name ring a bell? Because he had been a chaplain at the Denver Police Department when the Columbine shooting took place. Do you remember Cassie there? She was the one that stood up and says, yes. Jesus Christ is my Savior. I'm a Christian. And the killer shot her dead on the spot. And that, so he gave this flight attendant a tract about her story. The flight attendant quickly responded, You know, this is weird. 
You are the sixth person to hand me one of these in the last two weeks. Why did you give this to me? That opened the door for William to tell her about the love of Christ. And she there committed her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just days later, she died in one of those hijacked planes on 9-11. Do you know where she ended up? In the throne room of her God. Because William was willing to to say, I have a burden for this, this one who is lost. And he just felt the Holy Spirit prompting him, you have to talk to this lady one more time. She's close. We don't know how close the person is who we will be sharing the gospel with and be a witness to. But it may be that point where God uses us to get the, over the, the, the edge, to get them into the kingdom. Oh, that God might give us this same burden for the lost just as Paul had for his people and so if you'll turn back with me now to Esther and we'll we'll conclude here in chapter 7 and now we see the end result how the king did respond verse 7 through 10 Then the king arose in his anger from drinking wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther. For he saw that harm had been determined against him by the king. All he had to do was look at the king's face. And he was scared. So the king had walked out. King went to talk to somebody. So he's left alone at the at the banquet with Queen, Queen Esther. And basically what he's doing is throwing himself on her mercy. In fact, look how far he goes in verse 8. Now when the king returned from the palace garden into the place where they were drinking wine, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. Now, can you imagine that? She's on a couch, and he's basically jumping on the couch with her and begging her for his life. Well, the king shows up then. Verse 8, Then now when the king returned from the palace garden into the place where they were drinking wine, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, Will he even assault the queen with me in the house? Look at that. God turned his mind into jealousy. See, God, again, remember, the invisible hand of God is at work here. And God is turning the mind and the heart of the king against wicked Haman. And now it even comes to this point where he's practically accusing Haman of trying to rape his wife, the queen. As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face, put a hood over it. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs who were before the king, said, 
Behold, indeed, the gallows standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on behalf of the king. In other words, he's saying, oh, king, look out there. You know, this guy has to pay. There are gallows that were made for Mordecai, the good guy, who basically saved your life from that assassination plot. What about those gallows for Haman? And the king said, end of verse 9, the king said, hang him on it. Hang him on it. And so they hanged Haman on the gallows which he had prepared for Mordecai. And the king's anger subsided. God again intervened. And in his time, he paid back evil. He paid back Haman for what he was trying to do and all the hatred he had for God's people. And again, it takes us back to to what God said. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. The wicked will one day pay for their sin. I must look ahead and realize that one day when I'm in glory... There's going to come a day when Jesus Christ is going to return from heaven and he's going to bring uh, judgment upon this world, this world who is anti-Christ. We already have the spirit of anti-Christ all around us. Jesus is coming back, the King of Kings. We're coming back with him. And those who are are evil and those who have, have defied God and Christ, Uh, They are one day with the Antichrist are going to be taken and cast into the lake of fire. Oh, my dear friends, we have a king that wants us to come into his presence and bring our petitions without fear. Let's take that to heart this week as we go into the week and let us be bold with our witness. And that we might remember that God may use us as the last person to give someone the gospel before they breathe their last breath. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these truths you have presented to us through the story of Esther. Again, Lord, we see how you are in total control of all things. And Father, as you were in control of this situation and spared your people and spared Esther for your eternal plan, so you do in our lives. Father, thank you, Lord, for the plan you have for each one of us. And we know that as we heard this morning in that beautiful song, you are in the details of our life. You are in the story of our life because it all centers around you. Help us, Father, to walk boldly in confidence, with confidence in you, to share our faith and to come boldly into thy throne room that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of our need. Thank you for encouraging our hearts tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.